people love overridedly hearing positive feedback about what they've done. And if they've done something well, encouraging them to use that strength over and over again. There's, there's a couple of people in the business now who are genuinely doing things that they, maybe two years ago, they said, that's impossible, impossible. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm joined today by Jonathan Keane. John is the CEO of Cognitive Group, a company he founded in 2007 at the age of just 25. Since then, he's built Cognitive into a 20 million pound business with a team of 21 and offices in the UK and Germany. Cognitive are Microsoft talent experts, including Azure, D365, and Power Platform. And they've placed over 2000 professionals into Microsoft projects on both a permanent and interim basis, building leadership teams and supporting digital transformations. John, welcome and thanks so much for being here. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. All right. So I want to just start right at the beginning with your story. Um, you told me you moved to the UK uh, at age 20, no degree, no experience. Where were you moving from and why did you, why did you come here? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I was born in South Africa to um, okay. parents of, of British and European heritage. And they were always talking about you know, uh, granny this and, and all that. And at some point I knew I, was, I wanted to travel. Um, and I also grew up in quite a, a strict religious household. Jehovah's Witness household was, you know, there were lots of don'ts and not a lot of do's. Um, and as, you know, growing up being quite restrictive, I was keen to sort of fly the nest and, and see what the rest of the world looked like. Um, and so uh, when I when I left my, my A-levels, um, I wanted to go to university like all of my friends, but of course, being a religious household, and my dad, he ran his own um, his own business, um, manufacturing and installing and selling blinds, awnings, security doors, plantation shutters, and he um, he said, "Well, why do you want to get a degree?" And I said, "Well, I want to learn how to you know build a business." And he said, "Well, I'll teach you everything you want to know." So we had this kind of standoff period where he wasn't going to fund my education, um, and I'd run out of you know beer money, and eventually had to come back and ask for that job in sales. And he said, "Well, actually, no, you didn't take it the first time." You need wow. to start. You need to start in the factory. <laughs> so, <laughs> worked worked my way through his business for, uh, for for two years, and and it was brilliant. He you know gave me exposure to his accountant and his marketing and sales, and eventually for the last sort of fifteen months, I was in the sales team, and then went out and saw how he sold, and went on a few sales courses and things, and knew it was definitely something I wanted to do. Um, and so, at the age of I think nineteen, I sort of started saving to to come to the UK. And uh, once I sort of dropped the news in that I, w I wanted to go, I promised my, my mom, especially my mom, that it would only be for, for two years max. Um, and here we are, 19 years <laughs> later. Right. Poor mom. Oh, dear. My uh, mom's the same. Uh, I've, I've now lived in the UK longer than I ever lived in Canada. I moved when I was 23 and I'm 48 now. And right. it's hard for moms, especially, have you got, have you got kids, Sean? Or? Not yet. Yeah, it's hard for grandmothers, once, especially once they, there's grandchildren. But uh, yeah, so wow. And so um, then how did you end up starting your own recruitment business? Um, well, I, I was given the, the, the chance to, to join a recruiting business. Um, mm -hmm. I went around when I first arrived in the UK and, and looked for sales roles. And yeah. there were a few field sales roles which were better suited to what I had been doing. But I knew one friend who was working in, in, in recruitment. He was, and he said, you know, there's a real shot at earning 100 grand here. Um, I was like, really? Well, yeah, that, that's a pretty upside. Of course, what they don't tell you is it's going gonna, it's gonna to take you a few years. Um, and I, I got an offer from um, Braxis PLC, part of Video at the time. They're now Randstad. Okay. And uh, the, the sales director there, very charismatic guy, took a, took a shining to me and one of the top billers who interviewed me. And I, I just immediately felt at home. And I think from you know knocking on people's doors as Jehovah's Witness, giving people a message they don't want to hear, I'd effectively been recruiting from from a young age, um, so it came quite naturally. And um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we, we were sort of coming out of a recession back then in sort of two thousand and two. Was still loads of people being raided done. It was a tech boom, and so it was really a business development role. Constantly, you were just calling, trying to find out if there's any needs. And I had a couple of breaks in the Microsoft space. Um, a couple of good team leaders around me said, "You know, this is your patch." And uh, I, I, you know, I made as calls as as many calls as anyone, 
um, but, but found a couple of consultancies who um, who needed people, and that was kind of me. So my first year did fairly well, and sort of the second, third, fourth, and fifth, and in sort of you know first couple of years was in the top three, and then eventually um, went on to be that that company's top perm biller. Um, but I always, in the back of my mind, knew. I think I want to do this myself. Um, my older sister's had multiple businesses. She owns a, a couple of businesses now, obviously my father. So I knew I was going to do it. And it wasn't until I met um, a guy at Abraxas called Keith, um, who'd actually, he's much more experienced than I, been a team leader, gone to set up his own recruitment business. The 2000 crash came. Mm-hmm. And so he was probably a little bit more cautious than, than I was. I was, you know, it'll be, it'll be brilliant. All we need is a phone and a computer. And so uh, we sort of encouraged each other, one, you know, to, to tr- for him to try it again and for me to try it for the first time. And I knew nothing about setting up businesses and um, all the compliance and regs. I, I just was brash and thought, well, of course, we'll be successful. And he was like, oh, just yeah, hold on, pause a little bit. There's, there's a few <laughs> things to think about. And so we, we, we formed quite a good relationship. And that's, that's how we um, – that's how I did it earlier than I would. Had I not met Keith, I probably would have – Probably would have been maybe three or four years later. So I'm, uh, I'm very thankful for his years of encouragement that got me uh, to jump a little bit earlier than I would have. Oh, that's amazing. Look, as a segue, and I, I hadn't planned on this because it's not in my notes, but what uh, I used to recruit salespeople before becoming a coach. And I did interview a few Jehovah's Witnesses and found that they were very naturally suited to selling. In fact, they'd almost been trained you know, from yeah. a young age and, and, you know, able to face rejection and, and so on. Um, like what, what impact has that had for your career? Is it still part of your life? Like what's the, uh, what's the background there? Yeah. I, I left the, um, the, the church when I, I came to the UK. Um, so mm-hmm. you, you get disfellowshipped and, um, the, the, the church ostracizes you and that's, that's been the case for the last 19 years. But I think uh. the, the, Whilst I loathed it as a child, you know, having to go to church all the time, having to wear a tie and go knock on people's doors, what I didn't realize is all the training they were giving you to handle objections about, you know, Christianity or about faith or about God is the perfect training for handling objections in sales. I mean, you've been doing it from a from a, long, a young age and getting right. rejection almost every door. They're just like, oh, they said no. Okay, well, let's go into the next door, which just now happens to be, you know, a phone or an email. Um, so uh, I think it was incredible training and, and, you know, just teaching people certain qualities and traits and how to how to treat people. And if you're Interesting. good at the way that you talk to people and listen to people, then you could pretty much do any sales role, can't you? Absolutely, yeah. That's, what was your uh, experience of meeting those those salespeople? Were they fairly, yeah, fairly good uh, very polite, very um, well presented, and um, just completely unfazed by rejection, and you know, uh, almost. Yeah, I think that's how I would I would sum it up. A uh, couple of young men and women who I interviewed and. Um, I, I placed one of them, in fact. So, yeah. <laughs> so, listen, um, thanks for that uh, snapshot. That's really interesting. So, you started the business and, you know, you've now built up a really successful business. But I understand there were some challenges along the way, uh, including some, you know, cash flow difficulties. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, I think um, we'd, we'd, we'd grown at the time. Um, and uh, as you do when you suddenly see lots of customer demand and you've got contractors and perm requirements, you, you maybe hire a, a you know, group of people. And, and if the existing group of people that have generated all the results, they have a, you know, a little bit of a bad patch. Um, and at the time, we'd, we'd had a customer um, cancel a big project, which had the, you know, the bulk of our contractor book. And all of a sudden, you know, you're facing um, where your incomings are, are less than your outgoings. Um, and uh, we, we didn't have any banking covenants, small business, and you know, was having to delve into the, the, the mortgage current accounts. Scary times when uh, mm. you think my, my genuinely my house is on the line here. Um, but it gives you, aside from a lot of sleepless nights, it gives you a real zeal and, and focus um, mm. to, to put things right. So I think one of the big learnings from that was to, to never, never risk 
never risk everything. Make sure you've always you're always well padded out. Um, and and as a result of that, having that really scary you know, flight of your pants sort of situation, <laughs> we've always made sure we've we've kept the profits in the business. Um, um, you know, there's there's a lot of there's now a lot of families that um, depend on on making sure cognitive is uh, is successful. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm alongside a number of other directors, we're responsible for those livelihoods. Yes. Um, so a really good learning. But wow, I was I was very stressed. And at that point, I, I actually generated my first stomach ulcer. Which, oh no! <laughs> so you know some of the downsides of you know. F- Jumping away for, to another country and 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 stopping your religion and family severed ties and all those sorts of things is that sometimes your your health can suffer as you start to put all your energy into the business. Absolutely, we'll we'll, we'll come on to talking about you know mental health and happiness in, in a minute. But so when was this cash flow crunch, John? Uh, it was probably probably about three or four years into into running okay. the business. Um, so getting some early success, things are growing, you've got demand. And so you think, great, like let's hire more people. Then the, you lose this contract, which is a significant share of your GP. And then you're in negative cash flow. Um, how did you recover from that? Um, I think the we, we bubbled along for a, a little bit in terms of um, the, the results not turning, but I think you can only manage what's what's in front of you. Um, mm-hmm. And you don't want the, the pressure that you're under to, to convey to your team. And, and you know, maybe, maybe we weren't as good as hiding it in those days as maybe we are um, now during the pandemic. Um, but we, um, we, we bounced back fairly well. Um, I think one of the – having big customers with great relationships is the only way I think – you should be running a business. But the downside, mm. there is a downside to it, is that when you've got long-standing relationships, is sometimes you can be complacent on those relationships. Whereas I suppose a you know a recruiter who has you know one one or two customers that can make up maybe a, a portion of their 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 target, they're gonna always be prospecting. They're always gonna be looking for new customers. So I think Big big customers can sometimes be a downside to complacency as long as that, um, and that's maybe what what happened to us back then. I have learned that lesson a few times myself, um, <laughs> particularly in the last recession, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. That really came back to bite me. I was um, reliant on a handful of clients for all of my like eighty percent of my income, and had definitely become complacent in terms of prospecting and marketing and everything else. And then the recession hit and, you know, lost three out of my four clients. Um, and it was, that was not fun at all. Um, and I've never made that mistake since. <laughs> um, I learned that lesson like permanently that, uh, after a incredibly stressful and, um, you know, uh, hardship, like real hardship, you know, time, um, then yeah, uh, you need to have a diverse portfolio of, of mm-hmm. clients and always be marketing. Even if you're really busy, never stop marketing. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So you came through that and it, you learned that you need to keep, you know, a cash reserve and, and retain some of those profits in, in the business. Um, which I think that's a that's important for every every business uh, for sure. Um, what can you talk a little more about the mental health aspect that you just touched on? Like, what um, how, how how that's impacted your 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 life and business? Yeah, when um when I left the Jehovah's Witness Church and you kind of step away from all those 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 ties those all those relationships were, were, were religion, church-based. Mm-hmm. You kind of think, like, well, I'm, I'm in London now and it's just me. I'm on my own. It's one of those sort of three r- realizations that you have in psychology terms that really kind of, you know, gets you to grow up. Um, and so you pull yourself into work and you focus less on relationships because you believe, well, if, you know, relationships with family can sever, then any relationship can sever. So why don't I just focus on building the business? And so one of the things I found that is that my identity, my happiness was so tied to how well Cognitive was doing. If we had a great month, mm-hmm. I was up. 
we had a bad month, I was down in the doldrums. And it's when you're in the doldrums that it's your human connections that give you your foundation. And I didn't realize that for the maybe my 20s. And so I had this yo-yo effect that you could literally plot cognitive success on a graph and my mentality. <laughs> um, and uh, even into you know, to, the thir- into my 30s, I think in the pandemic, um, you start questioning, you know, why am I doing this? Um, you know, when you've got literally no business coming in, um, you, you, you do start to realize just how important um, your relationships are everything, whether it's a client relationship, whether it's your, you know, mm. your relationships at home, that that foundation is what gives you how you interact with people every day. Um, so I, I would definitely say I've, I've, I've suffered from, from depression through running the business. Um, I find when I'm tired, stressed, um, you tend to be more susceptible to feeling low. Um, if you know, you, you have a bad quarter, um, and so I've, I think I've always played with that. Um, and sometimes thinking that, you know, we, we, we haven't done well, so we should probably go and drink our sorrows and that only makes it worse or we have done well, so we should all go out and celebrate and all of those things, um, you know, all, all those things, unfortunately have a negative knock on effect to, to how you, how your brain functions. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's a very good book actually by a, a fellow Canadian, Gabor Maté that I finished reading. Um, he's talking on Tuesday on an online conference about um, mental health and um, people's addictions to whether it's their phone or whether it's their addiction to um, things aren't going well at home. So you know what, I'm just going to work a bit harder because if I do another three deals, I feel much better. Um, and you just start to realize that, that that doesn't work that way. Um, and so the way in which you look after people as a, as a leader that sometimes trying to encourage people to do more is not the right answer for them. So, wow. Thank. First of all, thank you for your honesty and transparency. I think a lot of people listening will identify with that and, and, and have had similar journeys themselves um, as part of the human condition, isn't it? But it's taboo mm. to talk about. So, um that really brings us to this topic of, I know something that you strive to do at Cognizant is creating a high performance culture while having that world, that life work balance for your team members. And it's difficult to strike that balance. So how, well, I guess there's two parts of this question. First of all, what have you implemented for yourself in order to look after your own mental health? But then secondly, how have you set up the culture at work so that you get high performance, high productivity, but without people, you know, burning out? Yeah. Um, from from my own standpoint, I think is bringing your physical and mental health to the front of your priority, to the top of your priority list. And for me, it was mm-hmm. always the last. That client called me. I'll, I'll answer the call from the client um, in favor of getting the doctor's appointment. I'll happily do that extra bit of work on an evening to do something for the business, but I won't make it to the gym or I won't go and play that tennis match. I'll cancel it because work is more important. And just starting to realize that when when my my, my constitution, mental and, and physical, is is sound, I'm a much more effective recruiter, leader, um, sport friend. And so I think the, the, the switching of the priorities and thinking that you've got to work incredibly hard and, and working hard, there's no substitute. But there are ways of, of, of doing things that you can be far more efficient when you are nice and relaxed, when you're able to take a, a really calm step back and, and look at the five decisions in front of you and know that one of them is going to have the most profound impact on your business. And so um, I think the pandemic has been amazing for us. It was terrible for results. You know, most businesses were, were, were probably hemorrhaging cash. But I love the fact that we as a leadership team got comfortable with people working from home. You know, before mm. when people said, I'd like to work from home, you'd always think, oh, is it because people are not engaged? Is it because they, you know, want to take a slow day? And you start to realize that that is a completely irrelevant, completely irrelevant. And so I suppose if moving the question on to um, uh, how we're balancing that at, at, at Cognitive, 
the first one is people, when they've got high freedom and high clarity, they tend to be more engaged. And I've always thought, you know, sometimes when you're a new leader, you want to be really prescriptive. This is what we're going to do in this level of detail. But if, if, if a human wants something, they'll find a way to get it. And I suppose it's what we've tried to work on at Cognitive is trying to, to tap into and understand what each person wants, whether it's acquisition of new skills or experiences, in addition to they want to buy a house and all those good things, and trying to support them to do just that. Someone wants to learn a bit more, trying to help them carve out time to see that it's okay from a cognitive perspective to do your learning in your work time. Mm-hmm. And so um, how, what, I suppose, what, what, what things have we implemented? We've got a nine-day working fortnight, so we only work nine days in every 10. So every second Friday at Cognitive is a free holiday. That's 25 extra Fridays. It's 25 extra long weekends. And what we've noticed from that, the first, when we heard Microsoft had done it in Japan, we thought, well, Microsoft done it. We've attached our tiny little tugboat to Microsoft's giant ship. We should probably try and follow some of the things they do. And um, we tried it in the end of 2019. And through the pandemic with everyone, you know, A, not having a lot of work to do, B, everyone was absolutely, you know, mentally fatigued. We thought, let's keep it. And what we found coming out of it is that our team is more rested. On a Monday morning, no one's like, oh, another week. People are like, right, yeah, what did you do this weekend? Well, I did all my life admin on a Friday. Or actually, I went and played golf on Friday. Or I saw everyone else for lunch, and I didn't have to use my holidays. And so people, I find, are more relaxed, more up for it. And so for the nine days that we do work, people are just on it. And we're not having to ask, you know, where were you at four o'clock? You know, what were you up to? I think people just, they want to do it. And if you're asking those sorts of questions, then I think your your relationship with that person is in the wrong place, whether they're the right person for recruiting or your organization. But if you're having to ask what what people are doing in that sort of way, then I think we've we've we failed. Um, and I says we, we don't prescribe people working longer hours, but people do because they want to. And in fact, you know, some of the people I've got to say to them, like, it's really bad. You should not be on your <laughs> working after eight o'clock. Really, please, like, don't. And there's one or two people who just, they're so busy and they're so loving it that the next morning they know we're not checking to see, are you online at 8.30? Just, you're going to do it. Um, and there's some, sure, there's some people that will look for, you know, angles and things. But I think the knock-on effect of, of prioritizing discussions with people say, how are you genuinely? What's going on with you? You know, mm. what's going on in the background of your life? Um, what are the things you're dealing with right now? And just mm. talk about what they're dealing with. That When it gets to the work bit, they want to do it because they know that you care for them. And mm. so what we've seen, and I appreciate the market has bounced back, is we've got a huge proportion of our, our, our billing team who are hitting their career PBs. Um, the company's breaking its sales records We've broken it twice in the last couple of months. We've broken our all-time sales record for a month, individuals and people. So I think we, it feels like we're creating this performance, this culture where it's about your results. Um, what you do day in, day out is really important, and we're going to support you with what those activities are. But just do what it takes to serve your customers. If your customer needs something from you, like does the, does the time matter? Just do what it takes to make that customer happy. Um, and there's a, there's a few people who have really taken that on. And the customer results, when they, when they sense interacting with that person, um, they can sense the person's intention is to solve that person's problem. And that feels very different from, can I just, when are we going to do the deal? Will you, will you make the offer? Because at the end of the month, we can get the deal in versus, is, are you in a position to make a decision on, on this company? And what else do you need to know? And if that is the case, let's... Let's just do it at the pace at which you need to make a decision. Sure, we need to influence everything. Um, but I, I, I feel that that is a better way of, of conducting business. Um, and we, you know, we, we only hire experienced people. And I say you know, a year to two years as typically the, the entry point. Um, and especially the most experienced people, they've worked in the big machines like like we all have. And the big machines are amazing because they teach you work ethic and they teach you that, you know, you've got to be on it. But I suppose as you, as you develop, if someone's just pulling the quantity lever with you more, more, instead of saying, 
Let's talk about how you're doing things, the qualitative lever, or let's talk about the direction lever, about where, you, where you're working, what sort of network, how can you leverage off the, the, the work you've already done. I think that's where experienced recruiters like support and coaching is on quality and direction. Mm. Um, I don't think experienced recruiters enjoy um, you asking them how much they've done, where, you know, <laughs> qualitative, uh, quantitative. Has that been your, your experience? <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. Before I go to my next question, I'd like to share one of the keys to my success in recruitment and in business. You may have noticed that a lot of the people I interview on this show have a coach. That's not a coincidence. Most high achievers have a coach, including me. I've worked with various coaches over the last 20 years, and it's been a huge factor in my own personal and business growth. Here's why. Sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees, and it really helps to take a step back and look at how you can improve the business and get a fresh outside perspective from someone who's bringing new ideas and insights to the table. Plus, as a business owner, who is holding you accountable and helping you stay on track? So I want to encourage you, if you're not already working with a coach, get one. It doesn't have to be me. There are plenty of amazing coaches out there. Just find someone who you believe will add measurable value to your business and can help you get to the next level. If you do want to explore a coaching relationship with me, then you're welcome to apply for a free 30-minute strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. This is not a sales call. My number one objective is to help you to get clear on your goals, identify the roadblocks that are holding you back, and create a strategic plan to increase your billings and grow your business. I promise you'll leave our session feeling focused, re-energized, and excited to take your business to the next level. You can apply at www.recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. Uh, listen, you've said so many interesting things here. I'd like to pick up on a, on, on a couple of them. One is I love your um, extra long weekend once a fortnight. And I haven't heard of that before. I've, I've got, what, there's one or two recruitment businesses I know who are implementing a four-day work week. And this feels like a happy medium because it's every other week is a, is a four-day work week, right? Yeah. So, but what, and I hadn't thought of it that way before, but of course it's 25 extra days paid holiday per year, which is double basically yeah. the normal. Um, and it's so interesting that you're people are hitting PBs and you're smashing your sales records with less, you know, time, uh, less number of days worked anyway. So, um, so that's a fantastic live experiment that you're conducting because that's the, always the, the reason business owners don't want to do something like that is, well, productivity will go down. We'll, we'll be 80%, right. Of our, of our normal productivity. Uh, what I know, I know it's, only, you know, it, it, it's, it's not been a, a long time you've had this, but what is your experience of that concern? Um, I think when we first rolled it out, um, we saw a massive bump in, in activity because everyone thought, because we, we, we rolled it out as a trial yeah. um, back in 2019, the end of, and everybody mm -hmm. was like, oh, this could be incredible. Let's make sure we, we do everything to keep it. Yeah. Um, and then the first, you know, the first couple of Fridays came and went. And then I think people started to maybe sink into some older habits. I think where there was a clear delineation between those that have been working in, in, in um, recruiting maybe for 10, 15 years, and it always worked five days a week. They couldn't believe that they were getting to spend, you know, an extra two days at least a month with their family without Inter, you know, impacting their, their holiday allotment. And then I think people that had never experienced maybe worked once or twice, they was like, oh, this is quite good. And I suppose if you look at Fridays, Fridays aren't the most productive days, um, in, mm. in, certainly in, in, in the businesses I've worked at. And so could we, I think what we had to avoid is Thursday became the new Friday. Right. And so right. I suppose we, we, we took, you know, steps to, to, to communicate regularly about it, um, talk about, you know, what, what, what good looks like. Um, and at the same time, even though we've got the Fortnite Friday, we wouldn't, we don't want our business, our clients' businesses to, to, um, be impacted because they are, they're not working. So we've got a sort of an, uh, an agreement that if, if you've got interviews going on, make sure that you're available. If your customer calls and says, I can't get hold of Jenny or Johnny, um, we don't want their business to be impacted, but we, we're not expecting anybody to do proactive work on our, on those fortnight Fridays. Yeah. Um, 
I think it, there, there was a cost. There was probably a, a, a dip at some point in this last sort of 18 months. Um, and I think if you are running a business and you generally feel that's the right way to go, then you've just got to accept that it might cost you a few thousand. Mm-hmm. But where I feel we've got to, and, and myself and, and Paul, our, our sales director and our, our FD, we, we talk about this regularly. At one point, we're like, well, sh- should we have it for only the people that have done their, D- their, their KPIs or DJs? They should have it. And then we mm-hmm. said, let's step a step back. Why are we doing this? Is that we believe this is the right way to run a business, that people will have records amounts of time off and they'll be their most productive in those times. And so we'll help and coach the people that are not productive or they're not right for us because this is our philosophy. We believe that having more time off is the right thing. You know, I've picked mm-hmm. up golf again. I've picked up tennis again. I wouldn't have done that. Um, and I know countless examples of, of people on our team who now see friends. They now see their family a bit more and, they, and they're hitting their PBs. And I think because we, we're having this time-based conversation that we've got less time than the rest of the world, we, we've got to be more, more efficient. There's a certain amount of intensity that we've just naturally picked up because of it. Um, yes. No, do you know what? It, um, it's interesting you said that because there's a vast difference between someone who is working with intensity and someone who is going through the motions, right? Mm. And so if, you know, that's, it's a whole different mode, uh, our, our energy level and uh, level of focus. So if we can get people to work, you know, with greater intensity, but for shorter sprints, I think that, um, I think that sounds better than just dragging out, you know, pacing yourself thinking, okay, well, uh, like there's certain recruitment businesses which are famous for having an 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. culture. And I don't know if they're still like that, but, you know, that's probably going to eventually die out. But I'm sure there's still some like that. But is someone working with intensity from 8 a.m. till 8 p.m.? Probably not. <laughs> you know, you know, they're probably just pacing themselves. They know, look, I, if I leave before 8 p.m., my boss is going to think I'm a lightweight and I'm not going to get promoted. So, you know, you just you're you find a groove that you're able to endure that uh, that length of a day right um, yeah and I think the um, the what, what we've we had to separate out is people you know candidates will hear that we've got a nine day fortnight and really understand what is the driver is it because they wanted just an easier life or they're like I really fancy having more holidays and I, I also believe that if I was given the opportunity to do set up my day differently. I could be more productive, more engaged, and have a better life. And so, you know, what what we're what we're making sure we don't recruit is people just like, oh, that sounds a fancy, just having a bit more time. Sounds quite relaxed. And like, no, we want you to come here because you want to do the best you've ever done, both at work and in your personal life. And that's mm. the bit that I'm the most proud about. When you know, when you are when. You know, I talk to you know other business owners. The first thing that everyone asks you is, "How many people you've got?" Yeah, um, it's always a you know in the gym. How much can you bench? Right. Um, <laughs> no, no one says you know what, what, um, how 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 quickly do you recover? What's your technique like? How many injuries have you had? Um, all those sorts of things. We're all just obsessed with this. How big is it? Um, yeah. And uh, I, I want us to build a business with the most productive people, mm. and. To, to have a really productive pe- a group of people who are earning really well and getting the, the life that they want outside of work. So when they turn up for work, they're ready up for it. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, well, in fact, speaking of productivity, one of the uh, um, things I've learned about your business when I was research, researching for this uh, interview is that you're on the Recruiter Magazine Hot 100 list, which is the most productive recruitment businesses in the UK, which is a measure of net fee income per employee. So you're obviously, and and you're in the top 100 out of 30 or 40,000 recruitment businesses. So clearly your productivity hasn't, you know, suffered, you know, based on this um, every every other Friday off principle. Can I ask, um, you said something interesting earlier, which was, you want to tap into what people really want and understand what's motivating them and then help them to achieve that and to, to be the best versions of themselves. How do you uncover that? Because I, 
this is something which I think all leaders and all managers understand is if we, if we know our team members' motivations, then we can help them to understand how the, what they're doing day in, day out is leading them closer to their own personal goals, right? And their business performance is going to have a positive impact on their life, you know, and, and the outcomes that they want personally. But then actually finding out what people really want is not easy because if the manager says, you know, what's most important to you? What are your goals and so on? Are you hearing the real truth or are you, is the person telling you what they think is the right answer? Mm. And how, have you found a way of really breaking past that and getting to the point with team members where like you really do feel like you have a handle on each person's and cause everyone's motivated differently, you know, um, in a slightly different way to what extent you feel like you've got the real sense of that? Um, I think it's, it's always hard to know what people really feel and believe. Um, and I certainly earlier stages in my career, the, the answers I wanted to hear was, I want to, I want to buy a big house. I want to go on lots of holidays. I need lots of, basically I was looking for a theme that said, I need lots of money and I need to build those. I was like, great. I really understand you. And that's how we're going to motivate you. Um, and once you, you know, very quickly realize that some of those, those words weren't backed up by, you know, things they genuinely wanted, um, you realize that maybe that approach doesn't, doesn't work for, you know, 66% of the organization. Um, so, I think what, what, what's maybe changed is, is trying to show that your intention with people is to genuinely help them. Mm. Um, and when, when someone can feel they're in a safe environment to speak openly, that the answer that they might utter isn't quite the answer between a sales leader and a salesperson. It can be, actually, I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not sure whether this is right for me. And you could genuinely say, well, let's talk about it. Um, and why is that? And, you know, sometimes that would lead to somebody maybe not working out in, in the staffing industry. Other times it would be just that the types of work that I'm doing is I don't find it meaningful. Um, I find my customers too transactional. And how can I have a more impactful relationship with my customers? Mm -hmm. um, so I think it, it all, for me, it all starts with trust. Um, mm -hmm. And if you get a good group of people who trust you, when you have new people join, they will very quickly say, I trust this organization to that new person. And perhaps that would accelerate the rate at mm. which the new people would be open with what they want. Um, so I, I feel like as I've got older, I certainly, I care more than I cared when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And I believe that... Um, asking good questions and learning to just shut up and just listen. You, you get to hear what, what's going on with people. Um, and I feel, yeah, when you, when you help people with, if they, if they've got a mortgage going on and what you're helping with them at the time is how can, how can we make sure that, you know, you, you represent your earnings in the right way. Um, what are the, inf and then when they do get back a hundred percent onto, to work, they feel that that extra bond with you, that you've, mm. you've supported them. You supported me to, to, to put a different roof over my house. My family's happy. I want to, I want to do well for this business. And um, yeah. so I'd say it's trust. And if there's no trust, you're never going to get an accurate answer. Um, Absolutely. Great, great point. Um, what, what else do you think are some of the keys to creating a high performance culture um, aside from what, what you've already uh, explained? Um, it, it certainly helps to have your, your three or four, you know, maverick performers, um, the outliers, who, um, if given the right encouragement and environment, they've got an immense amount of capacity to do more. And so if you could s see those individuals who set, you know, almost sort of, a, you know, in a, in a, in a race, you have the, uh, the, the, the rabbit or the runner who goes out, the pace setter, and to yes. have individuals that, that can make what seems completely insurmountable possible. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, shifting that back several levels in the, in the business is that mm -hmm. 
encouraging people to hit a PB wherever they are at their stage. It could be a PB for anything, for the amount of people that I had to go out and interview this, this month and really cheering them on and applauding them because people love feedback and yes. people love overridingly hearing positive feedback about what they've done. Yes. And if they've done something well, encouraging them to use that strength over and over again. Um, and there's, there's, there's a couple of people in the business now who are genuinely doing things that they, maybe two years ago, they said, that's impossible, impossible. Awesome. And that person's now being promoted into that, you know, that role they said it was impossible and they're going for the next promotion. Um, yes. So I think breathe, breathing um, belief into people and the little breadcrumb, you know, inflictions in their journey, really celebrating those little breadcrumb, um, yes. you know, those little road signs that says, I'm on the way to something good here. But if you wait until someone does build the big number, it's too late. Um, yes. It needs to be regularly. I think it was something Gallup said that, that the most, um, the number one predictor of success, uh, of engagement and success of employees is, is how often they get feedback and whether that feedback is overridingly positive and supportive. Totally. You know, many managers make the mistake of giving either mainly critical feedback or they think balance. You like, you need you know, something good and something bad, they should balance out. But in fact, it should be overwhelmingly positive, something like seven or eight positive feedbacks compared to one um, constructive, you know, here's what you need to do to improve. Um, I was terrible like that when I was younger because I, I, I so badly wanted to learn. I loved it. I say I loved it. I probably didn't, but I loved hearing things that I could improve on. And I, I, just, sure. I projected that mentality onto others. I was mm. like, oh, you've done that really well. And what you could improve on is, and some people, you know, it's Tuesday morning. They're not ready for that. <laughs> well, the other thing is that if you, you train people that then when you give someone like acknowledgement, they're waiting for the criticism to follow up, right? Yeah. So you say, I really liked the way that you, you know, dealt with that client. That was a really good call. Um, I liked how you said this and they're, they almost can't fully appreciate the positive feedback because they're waiting yeah. to hear, okay. And what, what, what's the, but, you know, what are you going to tell me that I, I need to improve next time? Um, in a minute, I'd like to learn how you celebrate or acknowledge those personal best. Um, one idea that I introduced to uh, one of my customers was they should have a hall of fame you mentioned having like four or five pace setters who really show what's possible and, you know, that others can aspire to, uh, to that as well. And so what I suggest is, look, let's have different categories to make it pot. Cause the, if you make it all about billings, then a, the, the, the newer people are never going to be able to win that contest, right? They're never going to, because they're, they, they, they're, they're, they're starting too far behind uh, or it's going to take them a year, two years to get there. Yeah. Um, but if you have different categories, like if you have, as you said, most number of interviews in a week, um, most number of whatever, you know, placements in a week, um, most number of, you know, candidate conversations in a day, or, you know, you just have different categories or, or biggest improvement uh, from one quarter to to another or what have you try and think of as many different, Meaningful, I mean, don't make up stuff, but meaningful categories which are worth celebrating, recognizing, and, and striving to improve. And they, they really embraced that concept, John, and they had like even, they put people's pictures on the wall and they, had, they incorporated it into their like annual award ceremony and all this sort of thing. But so if John had the most interviews in a week, Ever like he got whatever fifteen interviews in a week, and John Keane's pictures on the wall uh, with the most number of interviews, and he's going to stay on the wall until someone beats that. And then his colleagues are walking past John's picture, going, "I am sick of seeing John's face there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get myself on there instead." But uh, and and they they put these um, like they were framed things, and they were between the sales floor and the kitchen, so. 
you were walking past it all the time. Like you, you could see what the records were and everybody knew who the, who those record holders uh, were and what the number to beat was. Uh, so coming on to your business, like what, when someone has a new PB, how would you, how would you celebrate that? Mm. Um, I think it, it, it depends on, on what feedback that person had, had given us. I mean, there's always the, the, you know, company wide recognition when we, um, do the rundown and wash up of the of the month, mm-hmm. um, but I think often the, the the best celebration is the the personalised um, praise. Um, yes, you know, often it will come from um, you know their direct leader. Yeah. Um, but when we do the the board meetings, we'll we'll pick the people that have, have done something extraordinary, and then a different member that doesn't usually interact daily with that person will pick up the phone and call them and say. Um, mm-hmm. I just heard the following in, in the board meeting. I, I heard you know Paul talking about you, and, and and very specific the way that you, you know, turn that specific situation around with that customer um, is just phenomenal. And there was one um, uh, we we give out a collaborator award, and we we want to foster an environment where people share things. We share mm. information, markets, candidates, leads, and if we hunt as a pack, we're always stronger. And mm. so. Um, rewarding that behavior. And so we give out, you know, that, that award weekly and then they can go at the moment it's been, you can, you can expense a, a meal for two from, you know, Deliveroo or wherever else you're ordering from in the world. Um, but um, I think when you're giving out the praise so often and, and especially recently, someone's just had a really big month, but it's not this big month you're applauding them on. It's when they were down a few months ago and everyone was down, certainly in our business, you know, we were, we were scratching around for roles at one point. And to say, I really applaud you for the work you put in when you were coming off, you know, the COVID lows mm-hmm. and you weren't, you'd lost one of your biggest customers and you without, you know, even when you were low, you, you put their energy in, you put the work in, you, you, you developed relationships, new ones, you enhanced the ones you've got, and you are successful today because of what you were doing three months ago when you couldn't see success. And I really applaud you for that. And that you can see them almost get bigger as you're telling them. But it's genuine because that is the hardest part. And I think that in creating a high-performance culture, we didn't have one last year. We had a low-performance culture. You know, just doing a deal was amazing in covid and so it's one of the things that we, we sat around and spoke. So how do we, as we could see the market rebounding, how do we, how do we change that? And so, you know, one is we started to say we can have a fast start. We started to get evidence that the market was rebounding. And how does that evidence, if Microsoft's doing well and our clients are doing, how, how does that flow to jobs? So we watch the job flow to say, look, this is what's happening in the marketplace. And then um, encourage people that had good pipeline to see if they could, they could you know, set a, set a stretch number. And as, as one person did it, then the next person did it. And I think it was, it's easy to win when you're winning. The difficult bit is when you're coming out of a bad patch, as, as, as most businesses did during COVID. And I appreciate there's probably loads of businesses who did well, but we, we didn't. We struggled. Mm. Um, and how do, you, how do you get your mindset from saying, I just, I just want to get back to doing target to actually how, how, how big could we go? And if... If, if this is the market now where the sun is shining on us, and I truly believe this is the best recruiting market I've experienced in 18, 19 years, um, this is our time. You know, it's great where clients need us. People, you know, are talking about their futures. Um, clients are constantly saying the opportunities they can see or the challenges. Everyone's talking about their future. And if you listen well enough, you are recruiting for somebody's future, if not your own if you understand yourself and where you're going. So I'm, I'm so excited. I was, I was feeling quite, you know, frazzled during the pandemic and I've come out so enthused. I was so excited about the next five years. I genuinely feel it's an amazing time to be a recruiter. You know, those 20 or 30,000 businesses you mentioned, I think it's going to be an incredible time to be running a business and to be recruiting. I've even started recruiting some senior roles myself and I'm loving it. <laughs> amazing. Thank you for sharing that. John, your your enthusiasm is infectious. And uh, so, what's next for Cognitive Group? Where you know, where, where, what's next on your strategic plan? Yeah, so we we've just got back to um, the profit run rate we'd built before the pandemic. So we've just recovered, you know, thirteen, fourteen months after. Um, and our goal is to to double that profit, um, not double the size of the company, but double mm-hmm. the profit. And we've got a plan to um, get ourselves to. 
40, 42 billion heads um, over the next three years. Um, and awesome. hopefully have the most productive business on that list. The next time we talk on the Recruiter 100, we want to be in the in the top three. Um, and if we've done that, we'll have a really um, fulfilled, happy workforce who are earning well. Um, in the UK, according to the the IFS, um, 45 grand and you're, you're in the top 10% of earners, 75 grand and you're the top 5%. And, and how many of those we can get between the 75 and 155 grand earnings? Instead of having, you know, 80 people um, billing, you know, 80 grand, could we have 40 people doing, you know, 160, um, mm. 70, 80? And, and, and the person, the company on the list from last year was 190. So I think that's kind of the benchmark. Congratulations to them. Um, and uh, along the way, I think Microsoft's doing an amazing job um, of helping to transform industries. And I think our job is to help build the teams that shape those industries. So, um, yeah, we'll be, we'll be primarily be in the UK. We're doing um, quite a bit in Germany now, a little bit in France. Um, and to, to, be, to be known amongst the candidates and clients that we are the go-to um, company for all Microsoft hiring. And we've just won the, the, um, the accounts, Microsoft accounts, actually supply Microsoft people to Microsoft. So we're, um, yeah, we're, we're quite pleased about that. We're not, we're not the biggest, but we're really happy about trying, trying. We're not yet, but we're trying to be known as the best. Um, trying to get as many people who are willing to go on video and say, I had a really good experience with these guys. They, they're a little bit different um, and they really helped me with this particular problem. That would be, that would be an amazing four years for me. I love it. And by the way, you've done such a great job uh, with your video testimonials on your website. Um, people should definitely check it out. It's cognitive-group.com. Um, you, well, you're doing a lot of clever things, but I'm a big believer in video testimonials. I'm going through that process myself of trying to capture those and, and also encouraging my clients to do it as well, because I think, you know, People are skeptical and jaded, and if they mm. just see a written testimonial, especially the anonymous ones, I always tell my clients, there's po no point in putting an anonymous testimonial on your website because people just assume you made it up. Uh, whereas if it's an actual person, you can see their job title, their company name, and they're going on record on video talking about how you've had an impact on either their company or their career then that is powerful. Um, so yeah, hats off to you for, for doing that. Yeah, what we, we were saying we needed to be known, known for something and, and mm. how do you measure being the best? Um, because it's subjective. And then we said, well, could we have the most LinkedIn testimonials? Mm -hmm. um, but you see a lot of people sort of, you know, friends and colleagues recommending. So we say, well, what's mm. a little bit harder to get? Well, it's hard to get someone to go on video for you. Mm. And so if they're going to do something that's really difficult, you must have done some pretty good service for them to do it. And so mm. I, I suppose, you know, a couple of years ago, we said we were going to be the most recommended company. And that's mm. gave rise to us um, actually inside people's promotions is you could have done the billings, but you needed to get video testimonials to show that when you did the billings, you really made people happy along the way. Mm. And so uh, that gave rise to it. Um, so yeah, it's um, you know it's not for everyone, but it's in our world, it's it's what we really enjoy and what we um, get a lot of immense pride from. It's brilliant, uh, absolutely, John. Well, look, I've really enjoyed this uh, conversation. I hope we get the chance to do it again because there's so much more. I mean, you've been doing this since 2007 at uh, Cognitive Group. I'm sure there's so many more topics we could delve into, but that you gave a huge amount of value today. So thank you so much. Pleasure. Really enjoy challenging you. Thanks, Mark. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.